0: And good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Dollars and Making Sense. Always a pleasure to have your company. And I'm really pleased to have somebody new at the microphone today. I have Alicia Peevely from Sophie Grace. Now, who is Sophie Grace? Sophie Grace are compliance and legal specialists. Now, the reason I wanted Sophie Grace to come along to chat to us, and I'm, I'm, I've got to be careful I don't refer to Alicia as Sophie. So um, there is a real Sophie Grace, isn't there?
1: There is. Sophie is our director.
0: Wonderful, uh, wonderful. So I'm talking to our general manager today, of Sophie Grace, who's not Sophie, but is Alicia. So if you're confused, don't worry, I got confused as well. But anyway, look, Sophie Grace is a compliance and legal specialist firm who deals with something that's very near and dear to my heart in uh, compliance and regulatory? Now it's near and dear to my heart because I actually had ASIC knock on my door earlier this year and say we need to have morning tea with you, Ray, because you haven't been doing the right thing. And we found out that our Google AdWords were doing the right thing, and so we uh, we fixed it up pretty quickly. And within four days, actually, ASIC gave us the the all clear, and that that was kind of nice. But I thought it would be very good to have somebody that really specializes in this area on the show and i've got a whole bunch of really good questions so first of all alicia welcome to the show
1: thank you Ray. it's a pleasure to be here
0: Wonderful. And I'm so pleased that you did say yes, because I felt there was a bit of reticence at first sort of going, oh, I don't know about going on a radio show and, you know, you're going to be recording this and am I going to be held to it? Well, actually, yes, we are recording. And yes, I will hold you to what we talk about today, but for good reason, because I I, I think and, and given that you're out there dealing with industry professionals i'm dealing with consumers uh, and even though my fund is wholesale and they're sophisticated investors not everyone is sophisticated <laughs> and and so when you're dealing with uh, joe public and madam public i think it's a very different conversation we end up having than you know in the industry itself don't you find
1: i think that's true definitely um so-
0: so, what I'd like to do to to kick the show off, I guess, Sophie, is uh, maybe you know, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, how you came to Sophie Grace, and a bit about your background.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so, I've been with Sophie Grace since 2012. Um, I oh,
0: studied... 10 years. Yes, yeah, yes. Congratulations. Thank you. you're having
1: fun. Thank you. Um, yeah, I did a law degree at university and originally wanted to actually be a criminal lawyer. Um, but Sophie offered me the role at Sophie Grace. And I think once I started, I realized just how challenging and diverse the financial services industry is. Um, it's, you know, it's complex and it's ever changing. Uh, so it's it's really a great place to work. Um, and we deal with lots of different clients. It's incredibly um, diverse, really. Uh, so yes, that's, that's sort of the summary of me. Um,
0: well, I, I must say it, it is uh, fascinating because my daughter's godfather is a criminal lawyer, and some of the stories that we heard over barbecues and, and no names mentioned, you know, no prisons taken, et cetera, but I think you dodged the virtual and the real bullet, quite frankly, uh, Alicia, because – You know, dealing in the criminal law space, although, you know, I've got to say some of the people that I've met on a day to day basis in the financial services industry uh, skirt the law pretty (laughs) closely. And Although they they will put their hands up and say, oh, we're not criminals. And I'm looking at them going, listen, I I guess it comes about, you know, and it's quite topical when we talk about what's legal, but what is Mm -hmm. within the general intent and 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 good standing and you know it's so topical at the moment because we've had you know a big scandal in federal politics where somebody was said to have done something legal but dot 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 and so i guess when we're talking about ambiguity being a lawyer i mean that that's our that's your stock and trade isn't it ambiguity (laughs)
1: <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> no, I mean that's a question we get asked all the time um, from clients is, is that something that's that's unlawful and that I really can't do, or is there a way that we can still do this but be compliant at the same time? Um, so that's really where we're trying to assist clients pl- comply with the law um, but, but also, you know, be able to be, um, I guess, uh, to be innovative in their business and and really pushing the boundaries of what can be done in terms of providing financial services.
0: Um, I, I, it's a strange thing for me. I, I and because I'm a licensee, I've uh, over the past year I've said no so often to people now that want to become authorised representatives under our license because I look at what they're trying to do and and the the first thing they say, but. But it's legal. And I say, listen, there's legality and then there's legality. And I I always look at the purpose and intent as well. And and one of the things that I've written about a lot and spoken on the show a lot about is that if it's too good to be true, it often isn't. And that, you know, I, I think when people are skirting the law they know that they're skirting the law. Don't you find that that's the case? You, you, you're sitting in your boardroom now whilst we're recording this, this interview. There must be many. I'd love to be a fly on the wall when you're sitting with with your clients and they're looking at you sideways going, well, look, it's legal, and, and you're sitting there going, yeah, but, you know. I mean, yeah. do you have those conversations a lot?
1: We do. We do have them a lot, and I think I always come back to, it's, it's all well and good to say it's legal and, and try and skirt the law, but what happens if, you know, like you've had, Ray, um, ASIC comes knocking on your door? What do you do at that stage um, to to show evidence that what you're doing is is not just lawful, but compliant and, and for certain types of licensees in the best interest of your client? Um, and, you know, we're seeing ASIC uh, actively engage with industry in this way, um, wanting to investigate and wanting to have those conversations about conduct that they might have seen or um, things on online that they've come across. Um, so there's certainly a lot of enforcement happening at the moment. I think you've got to protect yourself against that. But then I'm a lawyer, so I err on the side of being <laughs> very
0: conservative. <laughs> I, I know so many good lawyer jokes about you know, bottom dwellers and, and and the like, and and I'm not going to engage in those today, let me assure you, Alicia, because, oh, I mean, some true. of them are funny, I've got to say. They are funny, <laughs> but, but uh, I won't engage in those. But, look, I think you make a good point. Look, uh, one of the things that we've all noticed uh, – in the industry and punters and general public won't necessarily notice this, but ASIC have been doing a lot more in the last couple of years in regards to compliance and policing, wouldn't you find?
1: Absolutely. I think in the wake of the Hain Royal Commission in 2019, ASIC really stepped up its enforcement activities. They took this why not litigate stance, Mm. um, basically meaning that ASIC would increase and accelerate the court-based enforcement, Um, so using the full extent of its powers and the penalties that were available. um, They they have since wound that why not litigate stance back somewhat um, with the appointment of the new chairman, Joseph Longo. um, And there's a focus now with their new corporate plan on economic recovery. So we do see a little bit of of a shift. But they are certainly still targeting regulatory enforcement action, um, specifically to those areas of greatest harm. Uh, so it's certainly not something that we can um, we can ignore.
0: Well, I'm going to get to one of those areas a bit later on in the show because it's one of my my topics I absolutely want to talk to you about in in around crypto and NFTs and the like. But one of the factors that's Uh, Again, people that don't understand the laws and regulations, uh, there's a lot of uh, regulatory and compliance work being done in the SMSF sector at the moment, but a lot of people get confused because SMSFs are not actually regulated by ASIC. They're actually regulated by the tax office. And again, I know this from personal experience because they knocked on my door for that as well, but I was actually wrong in that instance uh, and can claim uh, malfeasance from my accountant. But uh, it's one of those great learning experiences that one has. And I think at last count, there's something like 800,000 self-managed super funds in Australia now. It's a staggering number and probably close to a trillion dollars under management now under uh, SMSFs. So when people talk about an overzealous regulator or an overzealous ATO, it's like, guys, there's a lot of money at stake here, and I think it's worthwhile having a diligent regulator. Now, I was going to ask you, you given that you are in that legal profession, what's your relationship like with ASIC?
1: We have a good relationship with ASIC, I would say. Uh, We deal with them a lot in terms of licensing, Mm -hmm. so we assist assist industry players to obtain an AFSL or a credit license. So we know the credit licensing and financial services licensing teams quite well. We're dealing with them on a day-to-day basis. But then in terms of um, that ongoing enforcement as well, um, we've assisted clients in the past uh, to respond to ASICs questions or um, investigations. And so we have a, a good working knowledge of what they're looking for um, and how to how to respond in a way that will address ASICs concerns rather than raise more concerns, <laughs> um, which I think is always the Goal.
0: (laughs) Well, I I don't disagree having been there myself, but I I must add, though, I find them to be absolutely wonderful human beings. And this is the thing that people forget sometimes. They're humans just like you and I. And I think, certainly, in the approach that simply says, listen, if there's been a misunderstanding and an honest mistake, the people on the other end of the line, I've got to tell you from my own experience, they've been wonderful. Do you find the same?
1: Yeah, there's certainly a couple of analysts that we, um, we just have really great relationships with and They're happy to answer questions um, and, and try and help um, and give as much guidance as they can. Uh, obviously, there will be times when they say, look, these are what the rules are and we've got to stick to them. <laughs> but in, in many cases, we've, we've called up um, analysts and sort of said, look, what are you really looking for here? Where's the concern? Um, and, and they've come back to us with some helpful tips that we can pass on to clients. So, yeah, Absolutely remembering that there's a there's a person on the end of that um Mm. and in many cases they're happy to have a conversation and and work through things is is very valuable
0: yeah and i guess in the in this modern day i'm an old school kind of guy i grew up with phones uh, rather than mobiles and texting sometimes i say to people pick up the phone and talk to another human being it's amazing what can happen
1: yes i say that all the time to our staff Get on the
0: phone and talk to the analyst. Work out oh, what they're really. For. Can't I just send him an email? <laughs> it's like no, no. Pick up the phone. You know that's the way humans interact. They talk to you. I talk. You talk. We have a conversation, and that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great time for us to take a station break right now. We'll go for a short station announcement. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense, I'm Ray Treversen from OTG Capital, and I'm really pleased to have at the microphone Alicia Pedley from Sophie Grace, who are specialists in compliance and legal special legals, and we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Trevison from OTG Capital. I'm really pleased to have at the microphone today Alicia Peevely from Sophie Grace. Who are Sophie Grace? Sophie Grace are compliance and legal specialists in the financial services industry, and they help companies work out what they need to do to comply to ASIC's rules and make sure that they're doing the right thing. So, Alicia, welcome back. Now, before we went to the break, we were talking about – uh, I guess ASIC and the fact that they are human beings and uh, and sometimes you know I've certainly come across really great people but the odd occasional overzealous person uh, I'm just wondering you, you given that you've actually been at Sophie Grace now for 10 years when you first started do you think that regulation is easier now or harder now than when you first started?
1: I think overall it's harder and um, So when I first started at Sophie Grace, we were seeing the introduction of the the FOFRA regime. Um,
0: Can you explain to the listeners uh, what FOFRA is, please?
1: Of course. So the future of financial advice regime uh, was introduced um, in relation to financial advisors. So it introduced a number of new duties um, in relation to acting in the best interests of your clients, avoiding conflicts of interest. There was a ban on conflicted remuneration that was introduced um, and also certain fee disclosures and opt-in requirements for licensees uh, to send to clients on a regular basis, making sure that the client was getting the service that they had paid for.
0: Mm, Yeah, Fairly basic stuff, eh? Yes, very basic stuff. You, you, you'd expect your financial advisor would be acting in your best interests, wouldn't you? And and I, I guess I, I dare speak you know, slightly political, but the next mob that came in when FOFA came in, came in and watered that bit down. And I scratched my head and going, why are we saying to the financial industry we don't really care about interests of the poor old consumer? But I digress. Please continue.
1: <laughs> yes, FOFA was, was a bit all over the place, really, um, with all the changes of government. But, I mean, since then, we've also seen the introduction of additional financial services. So mm-hmm. things like claims handling and settling, the limited AFSL that was introduced for accountants in order to provide certain advisory services.
0: And, and hasn't that been a roaring success? Wow, yes, I don't know you can say that, right? Could we? <laughs> I, 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 I'm trying to, that, that dot, 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 sarcasm alert, sarcasm alert, sorry. sorry. I, 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 we're on a video feed here, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, uh, Alicia's smiling at me right now. That was a sarcasm alert, sorry. I do apologise, I wasn't obvious enough. Um,
1: And then also the, the introduction of the financial advisor standards. So, again, this this change in... Um, the education requirements, the professional develop requirements, and the conduct requirements for financial planners. Um, And even just in the last week, we've seen that there's additional consultation in relation to these standards, again, um, under the new government. So uh, all of that's been changing. for financial advisors. We've also seen the introduction of ASIC's product intervention powers um, which they've used in relation to uh, contracts for difference and also some credit products. Um, I think out of the the Hayne Royal Commission um, there's been a lot that's been introduced, particularly in 2021. Um, There are a lot of reforms that came in uh, in October 2021. So we saw reform in the breaches regime, um, requiring licensees to report, frankly, a lot more to ASIC. um, And we've seen reform in relation to complaints management, uh, the tightening of timeframes to respond to complaints. Uh, we've also seen the introduction of the design and distribution regime, which requires certain licensees to identify and assess their target market and produce additional disclosure documentation.
0: Um, yeah, I know that one as well. <laughs>
1: it, it goes on and on, really, in terms of the new the new regulation, and I think um, it becomes more complex it becomes more time-consuming for those risk and compliance employees within licensees. But then if you're a small licensee, you could be a one-man band. Uh, So for you to get your head around as a a sole trader licensee, um, the the number of different changes, whether they apply to you, and then how to implement robust procedures to actually ensure that you're complying on an ongoing basis – It's time-consuming, it's costly. Uh, I think we can see that. Just looking at the change in the breach regime, um, there's significantly more work involved to identify and investigate and report breaches to ASIC than there were 10 years ago. Um, Mm. So the cost of investigating all of that is high.
0: Yeah, and I've got to say, as a practitioner myself, I I wholeheartedly agree with you, uh, Alicia, because uh, I I guess one of the things that I'm always – I go the extra mile, uh, kilometre, metricated, whatever. But I go that extra distance to ensure when I sign a client up in my investment fund that they fully understand what they're doing, even though I operate in a space that says wholesale and sophisticated. And, you know, when I talk about the Wild West, that is the Wild West because the, the, the corporation's law that, that surrounds the 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 sophisticated and sophisticated. Uh, wholesale investor sphere is pretty loose. And I was at a conference uh, just recently uh, at the beginning of the year that given the rise of real estate prices uh, so dramatically in the past two to three years, something like 40 to 45 percent of the nation now qualifies to be sophisticated or Uh, or a wholesale investor. Now, when the rules came out, and this goes 20 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, you know, $2.5 million 20 years ago was a sizable chunk of change. In Sydney, people sort of look sideways and go, oh, gosh, that's a two-bedroom bungalow out the back of nowhere. And so all of a sudden, a lot more people can qualify in a sphere where I really believe, and I'm saying something now that would hurt my own business, but there are uh, too many people that I've encountered that don't read their documents. They don't read the information memorandum or they don't read the product disclosure statement. And even if you provide a a good version or a cut down version, uh, I try and make sure that they fully understand what they're signing. But I know there are too many people out there as well that are more than happy to have the 40-page document because they know it's not going to get read and and they happily sign the customer up and take their cash and invest away. So in your day-to-day work, I guess, Alicia, one of the reasons that I came across you and your company was that we started getting Finfluencers. Coming to us, and so when we're talking about overregulation, here's a place where I, you know, uh, one of my other contributors, Philippa Hunt, uh, is an ex-financial planner, and she and I were talking about finfluencers earlier this year. And so when all these finfluencers got invited for morning tea by ASIC, something happened. Maybe I might hand that over to you. I'll hand the microphone back to you, Alicia. Can you tell the audience what happened earlier this year when ASIC decided to have morning tea with the finfluencers?
1: Yes, I think they all realised they actually might be providing financial product advice. Might, and and, well, might, definitely work. <laughs> um, and trying to be, you know, politically correct, uh, and turned around and asked, "Well, how do we get licensed?" and And a quick way is to become an authorised rep on on another licensee. So we saw this influx of of client inqu- new client inquiries um, in relation to this this Finfluencer crackdown, if you like, um, with people asking, well, what's an AFSL? How do I get under one? Or, they or didn't
0: even 10. know what an AFSL was. <laughs> no. Oh, my word.
1: <laughs> yes. It's been an interesting time with all these, all these inquiries. But I think, um, look, what we've seen is uh, in order to obtain an AFSL, you need to have certain qualifications and experience. And Finfluencer's... Generally as a general rule would not have those qualifications or experience and so they're looking at a way to become authorized quickly um, to get out of ASIC's line of sight Uh, and and we have um, been involved in a number of them uh, Becoming authorized representatives on someone else's AFSL uh, Which I guess has its own problems um,
0: in a sense yeah, that, that. that's an interesting conversation, Alicia, because you referred a few of them to us and we had some independently come to us as well. I guess a, mm-hmm. a, a decent Internet search engine will find uh, AFSL providers out there that have cars or corporate authorised representatives uh, under their gamut. And my firm, Dirichir Advisory, is one of those. But very quickly, when, you know, my compliance expert, um, he has a master's degree in compliance. And believe me, what he knows, it, it's amazing. Uh, it's the depth of knowledge is astounding. But we, we within five minutes, you know, we said no to every single one of these applicants because we sat there and said, listen, you know, I have no doubt that you can do a great TikTok video. Uh, you know, congratulations, but regurgitating information off the Money Smart uh, government website and sprouting financial data doesn't make you a financial expert. And and when we told them the years of uh, of study and uh, FASEA and the RG146 and all these other things that guess what, ladies and gentlemen, we've all done that. You know, I'm talking to a lawyer that's done four years of uni and, and Lord knows how many more ye- hours and years of CPD to keep her stuff up to, to standard. That's what you expect of financial professionals. Wouldn't you agree, Alicia?
1: Absolutely. And I think that's what the average person who's looking at the, the financial information or advice that a finfluencer is providing would expect, uh, which is, I think, why we're seeing this crackdown from ASIC. Um, but I think also for a licensee who's looking on to take, looking to take on a a representative that is a Finfluencer, there's a level of risk that your <laughs> license is exposed to that wow. I would imagine most licensees are not willing to take.
0: Well, we we took one look at it and just walked, we we, we showed them the door so fast and, and they complained and said, but, 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 and I said, listen, you don't even have a bachelor's degree in basic economics, let alone any kind of standing in the financial community. I said, just because you can stand in front of an iPhone and do a jig, good for you, you know, welcome to the world. But I'm sorry, that doesn't qualify you to be able to give financial advice. And they they argued vociferously, Oh, we're not giving financial advice. And I said, well, that's not the way we see it, and that's certainly not the way the regulator sees it as well. And so I think we had this. Um, I use this term, I guess, uh, old school, but a uh, uh, coming to Jesus, uh, a meeting of the Maker uh, time, um, and they were fairly harsh weren't they they didn't give them any sort of leeway that they, they shut them down pretty promptly didn't they
1: they did there wasn't a lot of time there wasn't a lot of warning really um and i think that's why so many licensees such as yourself ray and and providers like us got this influx
0: of calls hmm i i guess we um i i i the the sales guy in me i always follow up and we we said no to a few people and so i went back uh, four six weeks later my crm system pops up and says hey ray go back and talk to these people see what they're doing and i guess to my dismay they did find a home eventually a couple of them found homes and having checked out you know how they're promoting their message and the kind of disclaimers they're putting out there i say to them good luck um if you get found out i'm glad i have nothing to do with you because when you get found out and it's not a case of if but when you get found out you're going to go down again and asic i don't think will be quite so polite this time around because you know using somebody else's license is all well and good but they've used uh, these terms marketing affiliation uh, and, and i might ask you has that term come across your desk at all marketing affiliation to promote financial products
1: not at this stage, no, it's not something I've seen, but then I think our our clients who hold licences are probably fairly conservative, much like you. Um, I think, you know, ASIC really has this, uh, when they when they're talking about marketing your product or your services, they're really wanting to see this balanced approach. And so simply just putting up the disclaimer or the risk warning uh, mm-hmm. page isn't sufficient. You really need to to consider your target audience and and look at um, the actual information and advice that you're putting out there for retail clients to access. And so, for licensees, trying to supervise that and monitor what a finfluencer on your license is actually doing um, is is incredibly difficult and and hard to police. Uh, and it's you know in the end, it's your license at risk.
0: Mm. And I've got to say, as a general blanket statement, they didn't take kindly to feedback and outright criticism. Because I think I'm far less polite than uh, probably you are, Alicia. I, I came straight out and told a few of them that it was just straight up bollocks uh, what they were trying to do. And uh, and and the and the gig's up. You know, you've been found out and you've been found wanting. So have a nice day, but you know, you're out of here. <laughs> Anyway, on that note, let's take – it's time for a short break again. you are here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm really pleased to have at the microphone Alicia Peevely from Sophie Grace. We're talking about compliance and legality around financial services licensing and authorised representatives, and it's darn important, listeners. It really is. Even though it might sound a bit dry, we're not dry, though, are we, Alicia? We're not dry at all. Not at all. Not at all. Although you did call me conservative about five minutes ago. I don't know how I'm going to take (laughs) that one, but we'll – We'll come back. We'll come back in just a moment. You're hearing dollars are making sense. We're going to have a short station announcement. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Trevison from OTG Capital. Always a pleasure to have your company. And today I have Alicia Peveley from Sophie Grace, and we are talking compliance and legality around financial services licensing and people that are called corporate authorized representatives. Why is that important, ladies and gentlemen? Because when you are dealing with somebody in financial products, they need to be authorized. It is illegal to sell a financial product in this country unless you are licensed. Now, Alicia, before we went to the break, we were talking about whether the pendulum has swung too far one way or the other. And you said, I guess, anecdotally, 10 years ago that when you first started, it was probably a bit easier. It's certainly a lot harder now. I guess one of the things now we've got a new government uh, in town, Stephen Jones is a new financial services minister, and he made some uh, interesting pronouncements during the election cycle, which Jane Hume matched dollar for dollar. Uh, pound for pound, whatever anecdote you like. So I, I'm curious, uh, given what we're trying to do is make a very complex environment as simple as possible for punters, is there a one-size-fits-all out there, or do we need to be still specific when we're dealing product by asset class, by client, et cetera, et cetera?
1: I wouldn't say there's a one-size-fits-all approach. And, and mainly, I mean, from my perspective, I would say that because – I think it's relevant to look at the different size of licensees, their different risk factors, the different Mm -hmm. clients and products that they work with. So, for instance, some business types, um, say, an OTC derivatives issuer, they have a very high risk business. They're working with a high risk product.
0: I'll just stop you there for a moment. Can you explain to the listeners OTC over-the-counter? Can over the you counter. just yep.
1: yes, yes. over-the-counter derivatives issuers? Uh, so generally they would operate a platform where you can trade derivative products. Um, so there's no underlying asset delivered to you. You're trading on the the price of the of the underlying asset. So say a, a share or a commodity. Mm-hmm. So it's a fairly risky business, and they're they're dealing with often retail clients who may not fully understand the risks associated with that type of trading. Where, for instance, a general insurance broker, um, insurance is a product that is is I would say generally well understood by. Um, everyday Australians and they face that,
0: that, that's a big assumption isn't it <laughs> <laughs>
1: well they're at least dealing with that product
0: they hear the word basis they, they hear the word a lot more than OTC derivatives <laughs> right, de- derivative so i can even can't even yeah. pronounce it properly right now but yes so, please please continue
1: there are different risks facing those businesses they're dealing with different types of clients different products to try and apply a one size fits all approach i think just denies those differences
0: yeah that. i agree i agree with you alicia i guess you know trying to simplify what is an incredibly complex industry sometimes i say to people look please give up there's complexity there for a reason and we need smart people to work out smart solutions and not dumb it down uh, i'm sometimes bemused and and uh, i i'm quizzical when people are trying to say we need to simplify stuff when what you're dealing with you know i've I've seen options traders for example as an example uh selling software that uh, look, I I've consider myself a reasonably intelligent guy and I did good quality maths at school and I'm bamboozled by some of the stuff they're coming out with and they're saying to people, hey, don't worry, run this trading program and we're going to make you rich. And I'm sitting there going, I have so many problems with what you guys are doing. And I mean, they, they walk through your door uh, and uh, I guess they're convinced, aren't they? Always. <laughs> So, so how do you take them down off? The, and, and I'm going to bring into this discussion now about technology because I am a technologist. I come from a software background. I, I was in tele, telephony back in the day when we still still used to pick things up off the off a cradle and have dial tone. Remember those? No, you probably don't. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, the dinosaur in me is coming out big time. But but look, crypto is something that's near and dear to my heart because I actually attended a blockchain. Uh, presentation 10 years ago and so I understand the underlying technology what I don't understand is bitcoin Um, I understand it's big speculative and I said and on my show I actually refer to bitcoin as the tulip index so um, and so when people ask me "What, what do you mean tulips and I just say just google or internet search tulips and 1637 or 1634 I think it is and read okay and that happened you know we're Almost 200, 400 years ago, uh, a speculative bubble happened in Holland. Good reading, ladies and gentlemen, good reading. And that's my equivalence, I guess, with Bitcoin. So my question to you, Alicia, sorry if it's a bit long-winded, but are we keeping up with tech at this point in time?
1: Look, I think ASIC is doing what it can with the resources that it has, But essentially, the changes which occur with technology, they happen so quickly. Mm -hmm. So for ASIC to keep up with new products, different services, and create regulation and guidance around that, um, there's, you know, for ASIC, there's a process of consultation, time for submissions, ASIC's review of those submissions from industry, and then releasing final guidance. None of that's a quick process. By the time they get out all of that, the technology could have moved on. So I I think it's a a tricky thing for ASIC to to try and keep up with technology. In saying that, they do have an innovation hub, they do have a regulatory sandbox, and there are two ways that ASIC is trying to support innovation and actually recognise innovative products and services. The efficacy of those methods is up for debate, I would would say. Um, So, for instance, the enhanced regulatory sandbox, it's a process by which businesses can test certain innovative financial services without needing to hold an AFSL or a credit licence oh, first. right. So it's a great initiative, but there are really strict eligibility requirements. Um, so applicants have to pass a net public benefit test. So the proposed service needs to actually address a current problem in the market um, and, and create a public benefit. And they also need to pass an innovation test, meaning that the applicant needs to explain why their service or product is different to what's already on the market. Um, and the recent data from ASIC around this, this sandbox is that since September 2020, only 12 applicants have been accepted into the sandbox. So you're sort of looking at data that's that's not great considering how many different ideas and, and products are out there in the market um, so it's, a, it's a, certainly an option. The sandbox is a good option. But if you can get past um, the eligibility requirements, um, you, you might be accepted in if you're lucky. I,
0: I guess it's an interesting facet that you raised, Alicia. I, I did my master's degree in public management. So I studied legislation. I studied public policy back in the day. And so my degree is almost 30 years old now. But when I did my master's, when you study how legislation comes together, the process that you've just described is not foreign to me and it's necessary because when you draft legislation, the the old bugbear of unintended consequences is something that people find out about to their demise uh, when people rush legislation and this is where you know good governance sometimes get gets put aside for expedience and so what you've described to me sounds perfectly logical but unfortunately it also sounds like they've done that because they need to restrict the number of people coming through because of resource uh issues and funding but also, I guess, the the ability to be able to process this as quickly as they can. And so moving on, I guess when we're talking technology in the fin services area, it's really difficult to not talk about crypto and also non-fungible tokens, NFTs. And I'll I'll be quite controversial. I guess I ask you the question directly. Should we be regulating crypto and NFTs in the Australian market? Uh,
1: I think yes.
0: So do I, by the way. So do I. Uh, it, it, And it's a simple answer to a very complex question because right now, far too many people, I, I keep reading the stats, just from a pure consumer level. And when you go to the Murdoch papers or to, to even the independents that are out there today, raw numbers are suggesting that over 25 to close to 40% of people under 30 have invested money in crypto. That's huge. Mm. That is an enormous number of people that have put – 520 a thousand or more dollars into something that is not regulated. Um, and every week on my show I actually call out the Bitcoin price. I actually call it out and say, here we are, and you know, just recently it hit $66,000 uh, of Bitcoin last year. It's under 20000 Everybody loves to talk the winners, but how many people come out there and go, hey, actually, I've just lost 75% of my portfolio? And that's where people then start asking questions, well, maybe we do need to regulate. Nobody wants a, a winning market to be regulated. They only want it regulated when they're losing. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> <laughs> And so I guess um, I'm curious, in your travels, have you come across people walking into your boardroom talking about NFTs, non-fungible tokens?
1: On the odd occasion, yes.
0: yes. Did you Um, understand them?
1: I would say I understood them at a very basic level.
0: Because I I want to ask you the question because, again, being a lawyer – you being a lawyer, sorry, not me, you being a lawyer, I, I've read about NFTs. I've got a, a very, very um, outspoken daughter who's uh, almost 28 that that has told me everything about NFTs and that they're the scourge of the planet and that they're, they're going to bring everybody down. But I, I sit there and, and try and understand the concepts where somebody digitally has a piece of something that says, you know, I've got number one. And i sit there and go yeah but i can make gazillion copies on a on a hard drive i i have no idea why is there value in that and 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 so the artist in my wife comes and steps forward and says well there is because you know you can reproduce a mona lisa but the only one that's really worth the gazillion dollars is the original and i sit there and i'm scratching my head (laughs) is this the kind of logic they put to you when when they're talking about their pitch
1: yeah it's very similar um and I, yeah, I have to say, my my understanding sort of stops at the um, the very basic level of of trying to understand what these are, and I do not understand the mathematics behind it. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I
0: I often wonder whether NFTs really lends credence to to that wonderful idiom that a fool and their money are, are easily parted. Uh, and, and remembering that an NFT recently, you know, sold for a quarter of a. Million dollars, and then sort of six months later was worth twenty bucks. Um, and, and and notwithstanding, ladies and gentlemen, I might remind you that Rupert Murdoch, back in the day, paid over two hundred and seventy million dollars at the time for the first social network, and the name escapes me right now. MySpace, that's right, MySpace. Yeah. He paid two hundred. <laughs> he paid two hundred and seventy million dollars for MySpace, and then flogged it off five years later for a fraction of that because something called Facebook was it yeah Facebook that's right (laughs) Facebook (laughs) came along and uh, and totally blindsided them and took them out big time I I guess I, I look at that and sort of go wow okay so look let's move on given that you and I are in the industry one of the things that we're big on on dollars and making sense is about education and so I guess from your perspective, where do you suggest that an everyday person starts to look when they're trying to go down this journey of enlightening themselves financially?
1: I think ASIC's Money Smart website has a lot of commentary and it's in plain English, which is helpful.
0: It's Um, amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) and It includes a lot of not just definitions but simple explanations and examples of how financial products work, how they are structured um, and how they might work out in practice, in a practical example. So that can be really helpful for the everyday person to try and get their head around uh, some of the more complex products that are in the market. Um, ASIC's website in general as well, uh, so not their money smart website, their, their ordinary website, Has a lot of information for consumers. So there's a lot of information for financial uh, industry players, but there's also a section for consumers um, that talks about how ASIC regulates certain industries, uh, particularly focusing on superannuation, insurance, financial advice and banking, um, and also how to check if a company is licensed and how to complain about a financial service provider. So those types of things quite important, um, especially checking if a company is licensed uh, and how they're regulated, who the regulator is. Um, Not everyone just comes under ASIC. Some are also regulated by APRA. Um, So it's important to to have that information accessible um, to you.
0: And so, ladies and and gentlemen, just to be clear, some of those APRA-regulated organizations include industry super funds and major super funds. So these aren't small potatoes. And when you think about super today, $3.3 trillion. They are big numbers. And so when Paul Keating started the system back up in the 90s, That was his vision, that, you know, we would be funding our own retirement. Yet we still see today, and the reason we need good regulation is that, you know, there are many interesting innovations happening to plunder this big treasure trove of $3.3 trillion. And so I guess, look... Alicia, you've pointed to one of the sources that I always like to point people to, and Money Smart being that it is uh, government, uh, so the word hopefully is true. I'm wondering, uh, again, a personal opinion, do you think that the money smart people maybe need to liven it up and maybe do something on tiktok themselves i'm just curious no given that there are people out there that just simply rip off their stuff and it's fine i rip their stuff off all the time but i give notice i say this is from money smart i give i give the the proper acknowledgement but do you think they should do some stuff for tiktok and maybe engage some young people under 30 to to do these kind of things
1: Absolutely. I think that would be fascinating. Um you know that's where people are getting their information, uh, their bet. financial information. So yeah, I mean ASIC does education uh, in and around schools, but that sort of 20 30 somethings, um they're looking at TikTok, they're looking at social media. I would yeah, absolutely think it would oh, be I,
0: great. <laughs> I'd be there on the so- I mean I don't touch TikTok, not interested, but I'd be there waving a big flag and same with Insta. I Not totally not interested, but I'd be there saying, ASIC, get in there, get money smart to start putting content on these because people are ripping your stuff off and and sending people the wrong way because then that's where these marketing affiliations and, and that's where it all goes off the rails. But look. Alicia, I'd like to thank you. We're just about out of time today. I'd like to really thank you for coming on the radio show. It's your first time. Um, I know there was a little bit of reticence there, and, you know, I see the big smile, ladies and gentlemen. You can't see it, but I can see this wonderfully big smile, and uh, I'm really pleased that you've come on board For the show, I'd like to have you have you back again and we'll talk uh, again some specifics. I'd like to maybe delve a little bit more into the into the tech and the innovation area, Uh, but around uh, compliance and uh, and uh, regulatory can get a bit dry at times. But I think we've done okay today. So thank you so kindly for your time and your contribution. I really appreciate it.
1: No problem. Thank you for having me, Ray. It's been a pleasure.
0: Wonderful. And this is uh, Ray Trevison from OTG Capital signing off. And Alicia, thank you very kindly from Sophie Grace. And until next time, adios.